Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. I'd like to welcome you to the program. My special guest tonight is noted poet Don Kingfisher Campbell. Don, how are you? Uh, wonderful. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Yes, it's good to have you with me tonight. And <laughs> okay. I'm waiting for the first question. <laughs> how does this story run? Yeah. <laughs> don't don't don't, yeah. don't be so hasty. Don't be so hasty. Okay. <laughs> Let's set a move. Okay. I'll try to move. relax some more. <laughs> yeah. relax. It's okay. Breathe through the nose. It's okay. Out through the mouth. It's okay. Well, let me ask again this first question then. What is poetry? Yeah. What is poetry, my friend? Uh, I've been told it's something that uh, is a Making, creating, anytime you're making something or creating something, that's poetry. Okay. Why is it important? Uh, I think that's something one can only answer individually. And for me individually, I feel alive when I'm making and creating. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about feeling yeah. alive. Tell me about that process, feeling alive. Yeah. Well, yeah, the act of making something or creating something engages me and uh, makes me feel I'm making useful purpose of my time. All right. Right? right. Like I'm doing something constructive, something that will have a result Mm -hmm. that I can show people. Okay. 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 Well, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, (laughs) Oh, poetic language, that's the key part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd have to say, I'd have to say it was in college at Cal State LA uh, when I read poems from the Norton Anthology of Modern Poetry and found some poets and poems that I could connect to that actually made me laugh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, you could call it stand-up poetry. Okay. <laughs> but this was before that term came around. So yes. uh, these were poems that had a sense of humor. That's the way to look at it, yeah. All right. Modern all right. poems. Modern poems. That was my all gateway right. drug. Okay, okay. So when you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes? Oh, (laughs) predominant themes. uh, Relationships to people and the world, right? I enjoy people and I enjoy uh, place. Place is a beautiful place uh, for the most part. But there's Mm -hmm. ugliness too. And you can get poetry out of just anything, really. All right. Yeah. 
Anything else as a theme? Uh, am I still answering the same question? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, what's Any the question themes? again? What are some of the predominant Any, themes uh, of your work? Oh, themes. Okay, yeah, themes, that's themes. right. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes, rarely I get political. I'm, I'm not primarily a political poet, but I do have political poems. Uh, most of mine are meant to really be my diary. Okay. My diary, and the things that I experience that I want to remember, and uh, experiments where I'm trying to explore where something will take me. All right. Well, please share a poem. Okay. I thought I'd start off with the first poem in the book. And this is the oldest poem. This book is chronological from 1996 to the present. And this first poem... uh, I wrote it in a coffee house, just looking around the coffee house. I got inspired, and it's called Campbell's Travels. So you can hear that uh, there's an allusion there to Gulliver's Travels. Okay. And the poem can do the rest of the talking. Here we go. I looked around the room, and my poetic eyes grew big. Posters were just postage stamps. The door, but a chocolate bar. I punched a hole in the paper-thin wall, lifted off the roof like it was a book, and stood up and surveyed my new toy world. All around me, tiny models I could have destroyed, save for my feeling of guilt as stepping on aunts and uncles. I stomped out into the ocean, which soon seemed a mere puddle. I left the earth behind and started playing marbles with the stars until the heat of the explosions became too much for my mind to take. And I realized again I was only a poet in this coffee house wanting to create something larger than my life. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Only a poet in a coffee house wanted to create something larger than your life. That is such a powerful line. Thank you. I really, really like that. Something larger than your life. Tell us about that. Tell me yeah. more about that, that particular line. Well, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was definitely influenced by Gulliver's Travels and uh, the Romantic Poets. Uh, there was a poem by either Keats or Shelley, I'm not remembering which, where uh, he uh, surveys his world from the top of a hill Mm. and uh, in his mind becomes gigantic. And uh, that changes his perspective of everything. And that I find very fascinating to uh, try to see things with different perspectives to see if I see anything differently that way. Okay. So now, uh, a poem. I'll say one more thing. Can I say yes. one more thing? Yes, of course. A okay. poem. Uh, a poem is an attempt, definitely, to create something larger than a life, in the sense that a life is temporary, and a poem attempts to become something more than temporary. Right. That was. It for tries for immortality. <laughs> Poems attempt immortality. Yeah. Okay. Wow. 
Very nice, Don. I like that. I like that. When you think about writing a poem, does a poem begin with you with an idea, a form, or an image? Usually an image. Yeah, the form comes uh, as I'm writing it. It's like the, uh, the poem was telling me what form to put it into. Now, do you and sometimes sit? I have an idea. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, sometimes, but that's inspiration, you know. Yes. Yes. That comes yes. when it comes. That's <laughs> true. That's one of the questions, and I'll ask you about that later. Inspiration. Now, do you sit okay. and think through every word of every stanza, or do you write freely and allow the words to flow? Initially, I'm trying to let the words flow. Right, I'm trying to receive my muse and let the words flow, but then I reach a stopping point. And I usually backtrack, and I'm already editing, and I'm trying to push the poem as far as it'll go. Okay. Now, does your muse have a name? No, I never thought to give my name. <laughs> yeah, the muse of poetry, there is there already a muse of poetry, a name that's very hard to pronounce. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's something to look up on Google because it starts with an E and I can't pronounce it. You know, yeah. as you think about it, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? Oh, God, that's easy to answer. Oh, my God, it's so easy to answer because that first poet that I fell in love with was James Tate, a New England poet. And uh, I fell in love with him because he had such a great sense of humor. Uh, the poetry, I just, I lapped it up. It was just fun to read and profound at the same time. Uh, right. Anyone else? I mean, uh, what else can I say? Uh, he was number one, but I guess uh, also uh, Gregory Corso. Mm-hmm. He had a great sense of humor. And then I got into, I guess, the more the more serious poets, the beat poets initially. Uh, and then I just, you know, started voraciously reading whatever I could. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, I learned about the poetry scene, that there was a poetry scene that you could actually go to a poetry reading and share your poetry. Right. Please share another poem. Yeah. Share another poem with us. Okay, do you want me to share one by me or one by James Tate? Share one by James Tate. Or is that a copyright problem? Yes, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. I'd have to to fish it. It would take me a moment to fish it. During our first musical break, I'll I'll fish for a James Tate poem just to show you how profoundly (laughs) I was influenced by this poet. In the meanwhile, before the first musical break, I can do one more poem from the book. All right. Because naturally, I'm hawking this book, right? I'm hawking this book. Yes, you are. We need to talk about this book. Yes. yeah, email me or find me on Facebook. And the title of the I've book is Kingfisher Creates. Kingfisher Creates. Yeah. Is it available on Amazon? I think it's going to be there soon. Okay. Yeah, this book is pretty freshly made. You know, it's just been out for a couple of weeks. All right. Here's one. You found one? Okay, well. Before you share it, let's talk a bit about yeah. the inspiration for Kingfisher Creates. That's important. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, it's back to the one I was saying earlier, right? Poetry is creating. Yes. Yeah. So All that's right. my way of uh, emphasizing what needs to be emphasized. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Creating. Creating. All right, then. Each poem is a creation. That's pretty obvious to say. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to read another one. I'd love to hear another one. I want to show off my versatility here. All right. All right so this is a, a beloved poem I wrote back around that same time, 1997. And it's, uh, it's about my wife. It's called The Great Divide Comes Together. I lie next to a woman born 2,000 miles south of Los Angeles. We talk about what we have in common from our childhoods, watching the Flintstones only in her casa, Los Pica Piedras. Listening to the radio as teenagers, we both loved from the beginning, but Laura didn't know the title until she heard it from me. When we visit her relatives in Los Angeles, I'm a foreigner in the city of my birth, feeling conspicuous about my poor pronunciation. I punch Caleb in her metro. I imagine watching my wife Cumbia in high heels. When I choose to wrap my eggs in a tortilla con salsa, I know I'm really eating mi amor. Desnuda piel against naked flesh, brazo over arm, pierna on leg, we naturalmente create a nueva race. End of poem. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was very nice, Don. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. You know, let's imagine for a moment that a that a poem is like a cake. All right. Oh, I can do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What do you believe? Or what, do you, what do you believe? Or what do you think would be some of the prevalent ingredients that go into this poem? Ingredients. I knew that was coming. <laughs> An ingredients in a poem. Yes. Okay. Imagery. Uh, declarative statements. And uh, some fancy figurative language. All right. Nice to have a good vocabulary. Uh, and then most importantly, you got something to say. All right, something you want to get off your chest, something you want to share, something you want to retain. Yeah. Are you there, sir? Did I lose him? Hello? Hello, hello? Technical difficulty? difficulties. Hold on one second, please. There we go. You're back. You're back. You're back. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. We have a caller. I'd like to bring this person on if it's okay with you. That's all right. Go ahead. All right, then. Area code 310. The first three numbers are 908. You're on the air with Don. Good evening or good afternoon. Hello? That sounded sound electronic, that voice. Good evening. Good afternoon. <laughs> well, maybe they Is that a human voice? 
<laughs> Maybe they're just here to listen. <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. That could be the case. That could be. Let's let's go to. Yeah, a I've got a couple of things I know they're just listening. Okay, let's go to a. Technical difficulties. We'll be right back. Okay. All right, Don, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. We had we experienced a technical difficulty there for a couple of minutes. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> okay. Well, that gave me time to reach over for James Tate's book. Okay. Oh. oh, he's got many books. <laughs> One of his books. My favorite book by him. Okay. All right, then. All right. I'm glad you're still with me. Though. I thought that maybe something had happened, so I'm glad everything's okay. Yeah, we are solidly connected on this end. Well, good. I'm glad. That makes me feel better, so much better. Uh, so my question again to you, before we go into James Tate's work, is what emerges from um, you as a poet? What emerges from you as a poet? What do you want people to see? <laughs> want people to see? Or they can't help yes. but see. <laughs> or they can't help My personality, see. right? I think it's true with any writer, their personality emerges in their poetry. And, you know, what you're reading is the poet themselves. Really? Okay. 
Yeah. Some people are more loquacious. Some people are more taciturn. You know, Mm -hmm. but they're both poets. Different styles, different voices. All right. right. Individual, individual. Yeah. So you found Mr. Tate's work. Yeah, that wasn't difficult to do. In the sacred place. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. I I mean, I'm. read a lot of poets, but I mean, just to give you a taste, this book uh, was published in 1976. It's called Viper Jazz. And uh, you could pretty much open to any page, and that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to play that game Uh, for example. If you can give me a number between 11 and 58. 32. 32. All right, that's a poem called Many Problems. <laughs> Whoa, that's pretty common. <laughs> had all these technical things. <laughs> that's true. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big believer in poofiness. Okay. All right. Here we go. Many Problems by James Tate. In a flop house, a man has it out with his obsessions. He's locked up in a room with them for a whole night. What the hell? Make it a lifetime. He scratched that wall so long it's a solid chalk white. Meanwhile, the ceiling's caving in, and somebody's ceiling is his floor. The water heater has gone mad, boiling water from every tap, including the toilet. It breaks the mug. Besides that, he's locked in. The whole building is tilting that way, and then this, like a tower of spaghetti. Imagining that it's his dinner, causing all this fickle equilibrium the loss of it, when actually it's the boneyard of vegetables the whole world is built on, or the stupid meatball in question. That's James T. So it's humorous. It is humorous. But it's also profound, and it's also got those uh, tricks every poet uses. Mm-hmm. So it's to life. So humor is very important yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely my gateway drug. And then from from there, I more than I can name. And just like uh, in this particular fiefdom of poetry in Pasadena area, San Gabriel Valley area, we have so many good poets. Okay. It's an individual different from the other. You know, you know poets often have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work, words they just can't help Mm -hmm. but use. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use and why? (laughs) Three favorites. Well, that's the toughest question of the night, that's for sure. (laughs) Three favorites. I think I can say I like the word still. That word has multiple meanings. The word still has multiple meanings, right? It means not moving, and something is remaining true, right? You know, so you get multiple meanings from that word. So I like words like that where you can get multiple meanings. You can play with them. Okay. Yeah. And another word? Oh, that would take some reflection. Um, well, I like the word creates, that's for sure. I mean, the word creates. Yes, you like, you like creates. A lot of my book, no matter what I talk about. Yeah, I'm really... 
I'm big on that word. Yeah. Yes. Personally. Yes. You're big on that one. Yes. Yeah. The way it says, like a philosophy of life. If I'm not creating, I'm not living. You're not living. Mm, that is so true. Yeah. That's really a profound mm. statement to make, especially in the world in which we're living today. So uh, that's very profound. You have one more. Thank you. And one more. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes, this is. Okay. Uh, you're in the big leagues tonight. This is on the spot radio. <laughs> on the spot radio with Michael Ingram. <laughs> you're in the big leagues tonight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Those two came, but the third one hasn't arrived yet. So mm-hmm. I can I can give you the the names of the muses. Uh, there's four okay. of them for poetry. Oh. All right. That's pretty interesting. Okay. One, two, three. Yeah, there's four of them. There are nine muses. And uh, you might have heard of Calliope. Yes, I've heard of Calliope. Epic poetry. That might be the most famous one of the most famous ones. There's uh, Thalia, Thalia. That's for comedic and pastoral poetry. So I'm a big fan of Thalia because <laughs> I like okay. comedy. Uh, and then there's Erato. That one's easy to figure out. Love poetry. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, love poetry, lyric poetry. And finally, uh, the hard one to pronounce, Polyhymnia. Polyhymnia. That's the best I can do. Polyhymnia. Like it's got the word hymn in it. Polyhymnia, and that's sacred poetry, right? I guess that's poetry for special occasions, services, right? So poetry was very important to the ancients, right? Uh, When you have Mm -hmm. nine muses and four of them are poetry, that's pretty significant. That is. You know, one thing you can say about this show is always something that you can learn. (laughs) You're my 183rd guest. And, I and I'm the first new. one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're the first one who ever told me cool. the name of the cool. muses. <laughs> so you will never I, be I owe it all to. I owe it all to the goddess of Google. <laughs> you will well, never be forgotten. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> you will never be forgotten. <laughs> Please share another well, poem. Please share another poem from your book. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's the most important thing, the poems. Let's see here. Uh, going for versatility. Here's here's a poem that uh, I would share as a poet in California Poets in the Schools with the students. All right. And this poem uh, is about the earth. So that gives it all away. The poem is called Globe. I don't see an orange in the sky, yet I can feel it on my skin. I sense small creatures walk on me. It really doesn't tickle. I'm used to it. I enjoy the warmth of many colors on my surface, the brown and green that grow, the very special red, white, yellow, and purple. Why, there are these two-legged ones who have added to what I naturally create. Or should I say, restructure my bounty into large gray and black and white rectangles that litter the land so much they call them cities. Some believe I'm entitled to occasionally shake myself in anger, but I just laugh as the overgrown ants scurry to reassemble their built-up 
control over a whole planet. We'll see who is around a million years from now. What the heck? Make it a billion. Been there, done that. Guess they'll have to learn the hard way how to survive, as I have. Mm. End of poem. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah. some some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it, my friend? Uh, yeah, I'd say that's pretty much true. That's pretty much true. But uh, I think I can speak for many that uh, when I'm creating the poem, I'm going through draft after draft after draft, trying to polish it uh, so that there are no flaws, supposedly. And I'll, I'll revisit it later on and find a flaw, change it. And, and uh, I've even had poems published, right? You know, after the poems have been published, I'm going, oh, man, I should have changed that word. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Nothing I can do. But, yeah. does, write, does writing energize or exhaust you? Your volume, your book, how about that? Mm. Does it energize or exhaust you? Complete energy. Tell me more. Energy. I mean, when you're writing a poem, the time goes by like it's nothing. Hour, two hours, three hours. Yeah. When you're creating, that's when time uh, just, just seems irrelevant. Well, here's a question. Mm-hmm. What is the easiest part of the writing process or your artistic process, and what's the most difficult part? Uh, the most difficult part is the first line. Okay. Once you have that, the rest is easy. <laughs> okay. that's, that seems to be how it happens for me. I okay. get that line, and then it just it, it goes. You know, The music goes for a ride. Goes for a ride. All right. One of the four muses. Yeah, goes yeah. For a ride. I go for a ride on the muse. Probably more. Sorry. <laughs> right. And so the easiest part then? Is writing that muse. Writing that muse. That's enjoyable. Right. Uh, I enjoy writing the muse. and It takes me as far as it wants to go, and then it stops, and I say, are you sure that's as far as we want to go? Let's try to go a little farther. <laughs> mm. I'm always trying to do that, trying to extend the poem as far as, as I can extend it. Okay. Done. All right. Well, share another poem. Share another poem. Oh, yeah, I'm digging that. Okay. Uh, Some poems are better on paper. Some are better out loud. Here's a topical political poem. All right. This poem is called Let's Bomb Iraq. First, strike. Lead the assault by parachuting in millions of Big Macs and free pizza delivery coupons. Second wave, drop a million cell phones and big screen TVs. Third rally, move in hundreds of thousands of Ford Focus and Honda Civics. Clean up, provide guns and ammo to help them equalize ownership and create civil unrest. Results, we'll still save money on the war budget. That's a short one. Thank you. Share another. And that was written 20 years ago, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Share another poem. Okay. One to the next. Okay. Uh, that's the beauty of having a book. You just turn the page. 
another poem. <laughs> uh, this is one that I've uh, really, I enjoyed writing this one. I remember I really enjoyed writing this one. It's, just, it's a good exercise for any poet. Pick uh, a punctuation mark and write about it or mm. grammatical mark. And I chose the asterisk. And here goes. You, versatile star, shining black or white over the eight key or not. Added to screen and page, you indicate something to be included is nearby. An explanation follows. Yes, another symbol with no sound helps us fill in to further exercise brain cells. And maybe then we will remember a salient sentence that did not quite make it to the paragraph, to the poem, to the instruction on how to operate secondary thoughts. One can line several in a row to create returnable division. But no matter what we say, we can always asterisk whatever we didn't have in the prose masterpiece, in the poetic music, in the essential manipulation, because you are cosmic, you are dangerous, bearer of notice through sometimes fine print, thief who occasionally slips in mortifying clauses. You are the six-pronged flake in any weather capable of changing lives and meaning. You, Mark, so all may know what is not to be ignored without consequence. Like a Greek god strikes a mere mortal, like an incision that permits the entry of a straw. Mouth-like, you kiss addendum and culminate long-winded passages like this one. Just a warning to those who use them. It's not Christmas every day, okay? So easy on the snow. End of poem. Wow. Easy on the snow. Easy on the what snow. Is, Some people get carried away with it after us. Yes. You seem to yeah. come alive when you read your work. It's almost like a different person ah. is there. Uh, what, is the really, yeah. well, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? If there's a relationship. Uh, well, they seem to lead separate lives. Okay, talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, everyday voice, everyday voice is, uh, I guess you're in prose mode. Mm-hmm. And then I have poetry mode. <laughs> okay. Two different modes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But I'm trying to show off here, you know, because I'm <laughs> proud of these poems. Well, hey, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. That's the most important thing. This is 36 years of your life. Am I correct in these poems? 25, uh, that's because I didn't get a computer until 1997. Okay. <laughs> but I have, I have older material that was done on those ancient instruments, the typewriter. And, yeah. And the word processor. Okay. That was a short-lived instrument. Yeah. <laughs> when you think You're about... You're talking to an old man. That's okay. I'm an old man, too. So we're... We, okay. we can find a yeah. common understanding in our ages. Yeah, you sound like you're a similar age. <laughs> oh, that's a compliment. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Let's yes. move ahead. Let's move on. <laughs> what <laughs> role should a title play in a poem? Based on what I've heard so far, oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's why they paid me the big bucks. Go ahead. Go ahead. What role should a title play in a poem? Yeah. Well, you know, I've learned that a, a title, I, I virtually 99.5% of the time give my poems titles because the title contributes to the poem. It, it's like another clue. It, it shouldn't be 
a dead giveaway, so there's no surprise in the poem, but it should definitely, you know, set the reader up for something that will follow. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's not difficult for you to create a title. They come pretty pretty quickly, or you're like, no, I have to really give it a lot of thought. Uh, yeah, usually I don't worry about the title until after the poem's done. But uh, if I have an idea, like a asterisk, right? Well, I put the symbol for the title, and and globe was a way of saying Earth in a different word, because globe could be anything. So they have to read the poem to get, well, oh, what's Earth? Yeah, okay, like that. And uh, what was that one? The Great Divide Comes Together. All right, so the poem is adding, I mean, the title is adding to the poem. Meaning. Did I, did I cover that? <laughs> Not a idea, really. Hello? What's going on here? No, I'm still Technical difficulty number two. Hello. Can you hear me now? Yes. Just got you. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, wow. This has been a night. Uh, <laughs> so what tip then would yeah. you give? What, what have I done for the God's anger? <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, what did I do to deserve this? Uh, what tip yeah. then would you would you give to a beginning writer about titling a poem? Well, it's kind of like what I just said. You don't want your title to be a dead giveaway. You want it okay. to be a clue. All right. All right. Well, share another poem. Hmm. Share another poem. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely share another poem. It's better than sunnying another poem. Yes. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, looking for another favorite. Oh, here's mm -hmm. a favorite. Uh, okay. So this poem will illustrate partly that title idea. Okay. Uh, this is a poem where uh, seeing it would make it even better, but basically I'm having fun with the word human by spelling it differently every time. So that's not something you're going to see on the radio, but I hope to get that across. Right? So that's my challenge. This poem is called Man's. Let me get this straight. These humans are divided into two mans, man and woman. And they have the nerves to differentiate each other even further by something small as color, tint, hue. Meh. Help me understand. These humans believe they can create machine exhaust without repercussion to human lungs and planets. Then these humans put chemicals in their food and bodies and act surprised when their internal illnesses multiply, like plants die. Strangest of all, they have created the greatest good imaginable, poetry. 
and soak their brains instead with trivial news, game shows, video consoles, slam bag movies, and occasionally listen to poetic words only in times of untimely death. All right, I think I've got these humans figured out. They specialize in underachieving so as to resemble their gods, who seem to have the same traits. No wonder they nearly existed for a million years, then civilized a few thousand. They should be gone in a century or two, unless they learn to make a hospitable existence with their plain knit. Okay, end of poem. Mm. So, so that, like those last two words were plain, P-L-A-N-E, and knit, K-N-I-T, but it's meant to be planet, plain knit. So I'm, wow. I'm playing with the, the words. That's a very Punny. powerful piece, John. Very powerful. Very powerful piece. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? <laughs> we're the ones that people should be listening to. <laughs> All right. Tell yeah. me more about this. We're, we're the ones who spend our time trying to make sense of it all, right? We step mm-hmm. back and we look and we see. And this is something anyone can do. Anyone can be a poet. They can step back and look and see and examine what's going on. But uh, too many people don't spend the time to do that. But when they do, they're being poets. Okay. Yeah. It's very profound what you just said. To step back, to look, to see. We mm-hmm. don't do that enough. We don't do it enough. Let's take a deep breath. A know. brief breath. Let's take a deep breath <laughs> and a brief break. <laughs> and we'll be right back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kingfisher Campbell. Don, when you think about your book, hey, hey. hello, hello, if you had to convince yeah. a friend or colleague to read your book, what would you tell them? You know, I was just thinking about that during the break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. That's good, that's good. <laughs> I was thinking, man, I'm not pushing the book enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, here, here's the truth, okay? Here's the truth. Okay. Poetry should be free. And right now, you're hearing these poems for free. Mm. But we should be supporting our poets. And the way we can do that is by buying their books. Yes. Uh, that is really the best thing you can do for a poet. Buy their book. It makes them feel validated, and it puts some change in their pockets so they can go buy that extra gallon of gas or whatever. All right. So that's really the best thing you can do. And, and, it, and I was thinking of, some friends who are near and dear. Uh, you just interviewed Tanya Kohang two days ago. Yes, I did. So people should go out and buy her book. 
my good friend, Marvin Lewis Dorsey, he goes by Marvin Lewis nowadays. He has a new book, Fresh Out, just came out, I think, two days ago. All right, people should buy his book. They should listen to him as a poet, just like they listen to Tanya and Marvin. And uh, Elizabeth Coyman, she has a new book out. Uh, fantastic book, fantastic poet. And uh, she should be selling books like hotcakes because mm-hmm. poetry is very profound. And I could go on. Well, it sounds like you're a very giving person to to mention other people's books. I think that's that's really nice, really nice of you. And important of you to do that. Yeah, well, to do. I really yeah, do. I'm a publisher, too. Oh, are you now? So I've published many poets, and I also okay. publish uh, a magazine that anyone can submit to. It's called Spectrum, and you can find it at spectrumpublishing.blogspot.com. If you put Spectrum Publishing, you'll find the publication. You won't find the uh, internet service or whatever it is. Okay. Cable channel, I don't know. Yeah, okay. so Spectrum Publishing. And then uh, the poetry series that I host is called Saturday Afternoon Poetry. And mm-hmm. so if you Google Saturday Afternoon Poetry, you'll be directly connected to the reading series that I host and curate. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Okay. Does knowing that you're, and you use the word validate or validation just a couple of seconds ago, does knowing that your poems mm-hmm. are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content just knowing they're out of your system? No, I'm not. I want I want them out in the world. Yeah, definitely. Tell definitely. me about uh, it. I'm, I'm satisfied on one level that I created the poems, mm-hmm. but it's just not enough. I have to share them. So what is it about sharing? Yeah, you can share them with a mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just asking the question. What is it about sharing them that is important to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you said it. It makes me come alive to share okay. the poetry. Okay. Yeah, it's another level. That's what I was getting at. It's another level. Creation is one level, and sharing it is another level. And uh, publishing, I would think, floats anybody's boat that gets their poem published. It's, it's really a happy thing. You know, you and I have both been around a while, it sounds like. Seasoned professionals. Yeah. <laughs> How has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began writing poetry? Huh. Yeah, you ask good questions. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Um, what I've learned over all these years is to respect individuality and people's voices and where they are on the continuum, right? If someone is new to the scene, you need to encourage them. You need to show them possibilities. And for someone who's been there longer, you want to celebrate them and make sure other people know about this person. Mm -hmm. That is a huge part of it. it. In fact, for me, Poetry is giving, right? You're giving. You're, you're giving yourself, and you're giving uh, other people the chance to do the same thing. That's wow. what ultimately a poet that does that is truly a poet, I think, that they do both. Yeah. You know, one of my questions, and I think you've just answered it, what is a measure of success as a poet? 
and maybe that measure of success is giving. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a success to create a poem. It's a success to share a poem. It's a success to publish a poem. It's a great success to publish other poets, to give them a place to share their poetry. That became my vocation. Okay. When I, I was presented with the opportunity to do that back in 1996, uh, I, I was reading at a poetry reading uh, in Burbank, and the host came up to me and asked me if I wanted to be a host. Hmm. Well, hey, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> All right. True, true. So that started me off as a host. And then I realized that uh, if I want to draw people to the reading, I need to do something that will draw them. And I found uh, creating a publication did the, did the trick, right? Give these people the opportunity to publish and to share, and uh, they're going to become part of this body of poetry that is existing in all these little spots on the earth. Yeah. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, every poet's got to be a little bit emo, you know, you got to be a little bit emo to be a poet. You got to have emotions, feelings, maybe you feel injustice in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe it starts with small injustices and then you look outward. Uh, but you have that emotional need to express. Definitely. All right. You and it's also about... the thing that gave me the most satisfaction. Yes. Yes. Right. I that like gave that. me great satisfaction to be able to express myself. Mm-hmm. Get time for one more poem? Yes, we do. We have time for one oh, more. Yes. Okay. Feeling the pressure. Maybe two. Two more. Yeah, there's two more, actually. Two more poems. Two more. Two more. I'm going to try to squeeze. Yeah. There are 65 poems in this book, and the only thing they have in common is the word create. Um, And uh, let's see. See if something jumps out at me. I'm going to read the love poem. All right. Very nice. Yeah. I wrote two love poems about the same person back in 2010. Uh, and I think the best of the two is the longer ones. All right. So, okay, strap in. Strap in. This poem is called Mythology. And it has an epigraph from Louise Gluck. To such endless impressions, we poets give ourselves absolutely, making in silence omen of mere event, until the world reflects the deepest needs of the soul. And that's from Omens by Louise Gluck. And this poem starts with, Oh, Jupiter, you are a small hole of light in a darkening blue sky. Below, in a pond on earth, ducks swim, create little waves which glimmer like ribbons. Reflect lamplight as you and the moon shine with our sun's celestial power. Are you both her beloved flowers? Only you are much farther than our orbiting fragment, born out of a collision billions of years ago. 
oh, Jupiter, tonight, you are more than a twinkling dot rising in the darkening indigo sky. People walk by the pond and look at ducks waddling up, easy to enjoy every day. I want to tell them, cast your eyes high, gaze at the shining speck that doesn't seem to move, yet slowly rises like the grand moon far away where no eyes can see a distant earth. We're just a pale blue point in that night, dominated by many moons and nearby sister Saturn's rings. Oh, my Jupiter, you are the overlooked sight, unseen by most denizens. Mothers and children throw breadcrumbs at the dark comical ducks in the park by the pond shore. Don't think to crane, even at the gibbous moon, which provides illumination overwhelmed by sulfur lamps on poles each evening. The faraway planet hasn't been this close since 1963, and not again so proximate until 2022. By then, I might be getting ringed once more, because I'm at the park waiting for my lovely visitor who appears in my life every day, and I'm thankful to the heavens that our sun comes up each morning so I can witness the moon at dusk and her eyes and smile beside me like stars to a planet. Maybe we will revisit this location in a future close as our current earthly rotating observation around each other. Present every diurnal forging twilight sparks with circling tongues. Oh, Jupiter, this time you are the most welcome new guide in my changing evening sky. Hmm. End of poem. Beautiful. Yeah. And your second poem? Oh, God. <laughs> or you All want right. to end uh, on a high note? <laughs> I do have a question, though. I do have a question. Okay, fire that question, because it feels too okay. soon to read another poem. Okay. All right, then. Um, Writing your book, what did you learn about yourself from writing your book, Kingfisher Creates? What did you learn about yourself? You know, it's a misnomer that I wrote this book. Okay. That's not how it was made. Um, I uh, keep my poems on the computer, and I date them so I can find them. Because, like I've said, my poems are my diary. Mm-hmm. So I can look them over and I put in a search word, I put in the search word create and all the poems that have the word create in them popped up. And I took all 65 of those poems and I made this book in chronological order. So this book wasn't written. It was already written and I just compiled it. And I had faith. I had hope that this book would have enough uh, variety to you know, to showcase my art and I feel that it does. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Well, what surprised yeah. you most? What surprised you most about writing it, having it in front of you, looking at it? What surprised you most? Yeah. Well, the wonderful thing about this book for me personally is that I can look at it. It's chronological, and I can see going from the first poem to the last poem how my life has gone through so many changes and mm-hmm. uh, wisdom that I've gained over the years. Uh, but I was really happy to be foolish and younger, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was living. I was living, so I can feel good about that. 
All right, very nice. What do you hope that readers get from encountering your work? Yeah, you know, my favorite thing would be if by reading my work, they would be inspired to write poetry themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah. unless you'd like to share another poem, I won't. I won't. I'd love for you uh, to. <laughs> all right. One for the road. Short one. Yeah, short one for the road. Let's see. Well, here's one that's personally revealing, I guess. Uh, Okay. That's a good idea. This one probably works. They all work. I like. I read these poems and I I get totally jazzed. I'm All right, glad. so this poem is uh, more recent. In fact, the title is the date of the poem. It's called 219. You sit, meditative in the tree, filled San Gabriel Park. Listen to Elias the Sunhillo on your boombox, blissful. I've got to warn you, you will suffer some fool's injuries, nothing you won't recover from, like last year's age 18 surf dislocated knee. 33, washing glass, thumb scar. 31st birthday, wet lawn skip, broken tailbone. 41st, hospitalized from mall food poisoning. 56, fall down six steps at school while looking at your cell phone. Disjointed wrist and elbow. You will endure almost 36 years of five marriages, possibly a sixth coming. Raise two kids, have occasional arguments. Move after every breakup with lots of go-nowhere girlfriends in your 50s thanks to WeChat. Yet, you will still thrill hearing yes and other musics. You will feel joy in those idle moments, that's I-D-O-L. You will want to create poetry again and again. Good for a few minutes, like orgasms. Then on with your life until the next. End of poem. Oh, wow. That is revealing. So you learned something about me. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the book is Kingfisher Creates. Yeah. By Don Kingfisher Campbell. I want to thank you for being my guest tonight. I learned so much. You're very talented. Uh, and as I said again, when you read your work, you come alive. You truly thank come you, alive, my friend. You really, really do. So again, I want to thank you. I wish you nothing but continued success with the book, with life, with everything. And uh, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes. To our listening audience, as I share with you every week, let poetry ring. Be safe out there. There's a lot happening. Until next time, take care. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.